Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 106. Uh, Today will be a part two of a previous discussion of revival history. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this. I pray that uh, it inspires you to seek the Lord, to move about us as a people again in power, in might, uh, that a world would come to know Jesus Christ and his love and his preeminence above all. So thank you for taking the time, and I pray this is a blessing. So the previous episode of this, what we call part one of that revival history, we we talked about the Moravian revival, and we discussed it, and that actually leads us into part two, and we discussed today a a widely known revival, especially in uh, over here in, in in the West, the first great awakening. Now, it occurs around the 1730s into the 1740s, and a major pillar or a a major individual that's used in this awakening was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts. Remember, we often see these words, especially in this First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, we see these words like revival and awakening often used interchangeably or sometimes just uniquely, but we did define as best as my attempts could be to define what some of those terms mean or describe, but um, if you'll notice, I even called it a revival and in the title of it is a awakening. So, but just don't get caught up in the semantics of language. It's better to lay hold of the precious nature of what happened and how God used it for his glory. Now, the initial stages of this revival are happening early in the 1700s. We have American colonies. They were in a tragic spiritual decline and a moral decadence ruled the day. The frontier areas had no churches and much of it was lawless. Colonists of mixed nationalities, they lacked unity. They were divided by intense religious convictions There was a perpetual war with indigenous people, the American Indians, and this uh, produced inhuman passions. There was a removing of moral convictions and restraints. There was a wild and adventurous spirit that possessed the people as morals declined and religion itself decayed. There was drunkenness, immorality, and every type of sin blossomed. The dream of a Christian utopia by the Puritans that arrived on the Mayflower in November 1620 and others arriving after them was disregarded by, that, by the second and third generation that followed after them. 
we start to see an, the age of reason or enlightenment led churches into deism, which held that religious truth was subject to human reasoning rather than divine revelation. For example, God could only be revealed through reason and nature, and that this God is disconnected or detached from the affairs of humanity. And then we also see things like universalism, the thought that all human beings will be ultimately saved and restored to right relationship to God apart from repentance from sin and the work of Christ. We also see the preaching of a, quote, born again experience was rare. Many church members and ministers of the time could not even give evidence of their own conversion experience. There was a halfway covenant um, in this in this era that had opened up the door for unconverted people to become uh, members of a church, and soon unconverted ministers filled pu- pulpits across the land. Uh, flagrant sins corrupted and weakened churches. Christianity was in a very low state. Believers were generally dead, lifeless, careless, carnal, and insecure. One man stated, quote, Christianity lay as it were dying and ready to expire its last breath of life, end quote. It appeared in whole to be a hopeless situation. But take note of this. This is important. But a small praying remnant in the church interceded to save the souls of their neighbors. Jonathan Edwards, a Congregationalist pastor from Northampton, Massachusetts, began to preach the gospel deliberately and powerfully in a series on justification by faith alone. In December 1734, six young people were converted. One was a young woman who was quaintly described as, quote, one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town, end quote. Her life was so radically changed that it became the talk of the town and the news of this evident act of God's grace spread like wildfire. In the next six months, 300 of the 1,100 population were converted. That's more than 25% of that population in only six months' time. There was scarcely a single person in the town of Northampton, either young or old, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It was never so full of love and full of joy as in that time. It was a time of joy in families. The public assemblies were beautiful. The congregation became alive in God's service, everyone earnestly attending public worship. These new converts were extremely zealous. They became bold in their evangelistic efforts and were overwhelmed with a compulsion to tell others the good news. The preaching of the good news brought deep conviction of sin 
and of the peril of rebelling against God's love. So this all is is really sparking around 1734 in November um, on into December. And this is the kind of local church effect, the first phase of it. Now, there were other notable leaders, not just Jonathan Edwards, and some of which you'll recognize from the previous uh, presentation or uh, of uh, the Moravian revival. But other notable leaders during this first great awakening were also John Wesley and George Whitfield. They would have been in their 30s and 40s around this time period. Both men have an awesome story to dive into when you have time and you won't regret the investigation. We mentioned in the previous discussion the impact that the Moravians had on John Wesley. John Wesley would go on to be the founder of the Methodist denomination. He had fantastic organizational leadership. George Whitfield was a force of a preacher. He preached in many open-air meetings to common people and the unchurched. Sober estimates say that he preached about 1,000 times a year, every year, for 30 years. Now, if you do the quick math there, that's over two and a half messages every day for 30 years. Now, around 1740 to 1742, we start to see this second wave of the revival. Now, in New England alone, 10% of the population of 300,000 were added to the churches between 1740 and 1742. It is estimated that a further 30,000 souls were converted through the English evangelist George Whitfield. The English founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, made trips to America, and by the time of his death in 1791, there were 40,000 that made up the Methodist churches in America. We also see 150 new congregational churches established in 20 years. More than 100 towns had been blessed with revivals. Baptist churches multiplied. Also in the last half of the century, the number of their churches grew from nine to upwards of 400 with a total of 30,000 members. Similar growth was also experienced in Presbyterian denominations and other churches. Nine Christian universities were established in the colonies. Early missionary desire began to emerge most notably in the ministry of David Brainerd among the Native Americans or the Indians. The revival revolutionized the nation's religious and moral character and determined the destiny of the nation. Now, we, as we mentioned before, there, there was a first wave and then we saw a second wave. Um, early in the thir- 1730s uh, and now in 1740 to 1742, we see a second wave of this revival. So we mentioned before Jonathan Edwards. He's a pastor of a congregational church in Northampton, Massachusetts. 
And he reflected back on the first phase of the revival in a letter to Reverend Thomas Prince of Boston. This was dated December 12, 1743. In the letter, he mentions the following. During the nine years since the beginning of the revival, so early 1734, the zeal of the believers had declined tragically. The following things were noted. Prayer was consistent through the duration, and a few were born again during this time, but not like before. In the spring of 1740, the young people became more serious about the state of their souls. By mid-October 1740, George Whitfield came to Northampton and preached four sermons, as well as some private times of sharing at the home of Jonathan Edwards. The result of this visit was that the congregation was extraordinarily melted by every sermon, almost the whole assembly being in tears for a great part of the sermon. There was a renewed zeal and hunger for the Word of God. Within four to six weeks, there was a genuine reviving that returned to the believers. By mid-December 1740, the young people and children were greatly impacted. And by May of 1741, following a sermon in a home, several believers were so overcome by the sense of the greatness and glory of divine things and the infinite importance of things eternal that they were not able to conceal it. The affections of their minds became overcame their physical strength and it very visibly affected upon their bodies. After the sermon, the young people met in a separate room discussing what had transpired. Through the discussion, they saw themselves in a new light full of sin and being distressed over their condition. Quote, the whole room was full of nothing but outcries, faintings, and the like. Now, when others in the town heard about what had taken place, they too, quote, were overpowered in like manner, end quote. These occurrences during meetings actually became common. Children were also greatly affected. The room where children were given counsel, quote, was filled with cries, and when they were dismissed, they almost all of them went home crying aloud through the streets, end quote. Can you just remember, can you even think of this even in our day, what that would look like? My goodness. Now, Jonathan Edwards, in the summer of 1741, had a group of young people. This is ages 16 to 26. And when they met with him, these young people resulted and came to the same contrition as was experienced with the young children mentioned before. In August of Sep- and September of 1741, quote, were the most remarkable of any this year for appearances of conviction and conversion of sinners and great revivings, 
end quote. He says, quote, It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, faintings, convulsions, and such, like both with distress and also with admiration and joy. It was not the manner here to hold meetings all night, as in some places, nor was it common to continue them till very late in the night. But it was pretty often so that there were some that were so affected and their bodies so overcome that they could not go home, but were obliged to stay all night where they were. In February of 1742, Reverend Samuel Buell was invited to preach in Northampton. Some of the results were the rekindling of zeal among the believers, which during the month following September of 1741 had began to wane. From Buell's sermons, the people were greatly impacted, with many crying out and many staying after the service for many hours. Many private meetings in homes were conducted by Buell. The entire time was reawakened with a zeal and passion for Christ. Quote, There were some instances of persons lying in a sort of trance, remaining perhaps for a whole 24 hours motionless and with their senses locked up, but in the meantime, under strong imaginations as though they went to heaven and had there a vision of glorious and delightful objects, end quote. In the summer of 1742, there seemed to be a diminishing of the revival. Though there were periodic moving of the Holy Spirit, the, re the revival itself was declining. Now, while other revivals in other regions are documented, in our next account, we'll call it part three, that will take us actually up another 50 years nearly to reach what is called the second great awakening. And there will be other key players used. Some will take the forefront and others will fall back into rather non-knownness. But nevertheless, do keep in mind that these revivals are not happening in, in a vacuum. And although some places are mentioned more than others, it is not exclusive to one particular place. I, a lot of times here in, in, in the West, in the Americas, uh, we think of revivals kind of just this, you know, first great awakening and then second great awakening. But, but in reality, many, many things were happening even in between these. I mentioned that we're looking at almost a 50-year jump from the first great awakening to the second. And so there are subsequent um, occurrences that are happening during this period of time. 
Uh, for example, for example, there was a a Scotland revival, 1742. Um, there was a revival in 1745 among the Delaware Indians. In 1764, there's an East Ampton revival. Uh, Cornwall's Christmas Prayer revival in 1781. And again, another East Ampton revival in 1785. So God is, is on a continuum of, of working and moving amongst his people. And uh, just because something ends itself doesn't mean that it's a, a complete conclusion of what God is doing. So keeping all these in mind as we progress into specific revivals or outpourings, uh, I do keep that in mind that this isn't happening in a vacuum and that God is moving throughout other places and doing other things. Um, I just simply want to bring to the forefront um, an awareness of specific moments in time that God did things. And my hope in this is that it will inspire you to be hungry for a, a another outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that it would spur you to this place of prayer and seeking God to, to do not necessarily a repeat of what he did, but to do something in our day among the people in which you live. Uh, this is true of whether you're in you know, North America or you're overseas in any other, uh, any other number of countries listening as this reaches places all across the world. So be in prayer for your place. Be in prayer for other places that God would do again a outpouring of his of his spirit and that the revival fires of renewing and and awakening would would come again to our peoples all across the world that we would see Jesus take the place of preeminence that he would um, receive the reward of his suffering and uh, we will see you then on the next one uh, and, and regarding the second great awakening God bless to you I would trade a million lifetimes for